Hey y'all, welcome to LA King's Corner Podcast, episode 3. There are many other podcasts that we've done, but this is officially episode 3 since we've been on Apple and Spotify. In this episode, we talk about Sidney Crosby and Alex Ovechkin and whether or not they saved the National Hockey League. We talk about John Tortorella's comments in regard to the hit that Hathaway put on Luke Hughes in the subsequent scrum. Then we do get on to the Los Angeles Kings and Washington Capitals game. We recap that game. Then big drama, at least on Twitter anyway, about Gabe Velarde and Blake Lazat. We review Gabe Velarde's comments about the hit that Blake Lazat put on him. Then, of course, we had to talk about the Corey Perry and Connor Bedard drama, the biggest story in the National Hockey League. Had to touch on that. And then finally, we get on to the Los Angeles Kings against the Colorado Avalanche. We preview that game. So hope you'll enjoy listening to the LA Kings Corner Podcast, Episode 3. Hey, Kings fans, welcome back to another episode of LA Kings Corner, the podcast for the fans by the fans. Joining us today, myself, Ryan Marvin, Joshua Norse, and Corey Marvin, all uh, members of LA Kings Corner. Today's date is December 2nd, 2023. Folks, that's right. You see this beautiful face if you're watching on YouTube or where we're streaming our video content. No more mustache. I feel sad. I feel a little bit like colder, maybe. Um, I feel like, I don't know, I lost something, but, but, you know, it was all for a good cause, you know, November, Movember celebrating that month where we're raising a awareness for men's health. So, Hey, look, we can be a, a, a man's man and we can be a masculine man and still make sure we're taking good care of ourselves. So everybody out there, I think that's what it's all about. Um, Kings played one game so far this week. It was a slow week and we're going to see Colorado tomorrow, but a loss to Washington watching possibly one of the greatest goal scorers in the history of the game. I think he's only like 60 something goals behind Gretzky. Is that not amazing to you guys? 65 or something like that. Yeah. He's, he's awfully close. Yeah. I, mean, I, I didn't think it was something that we would ever see in our lifetime. I didn't think anybody would ever get close. And yet here we are. And the most amazing thing about it is I think you and I talked about this rise where he's actually doing it or has the potential to do it in less games or about the equal amount. So we're really watching a, a a generational talent and not really just him. I don't know if you guys saw this, not to hijack the opening here, but there was a, somebody had a quote, I think it was Ovechkin where he said that he and Crosby saved the league. And I don't, I couldn't help but agree with that, you know? So, I mean, I think, and everybody might. So you see all these new talents that came into the league, like the McDavid's and the Bedards, and there's, I mean, the list goes on. There's so many talented players in the league now, and they're all, in my, as far as I can tell, a byproduct of Alex Ovechkin and Sidney Crosby. That's, I mean, that's an interesting thought, guys, because uh, when did they come into the league? Was it right around that uh, 2000, in, in the late 2000s there, right around 2005 to 2010, pretty close to that when they had that lockout? Yep. And I think, you know, I think the, the, the kicker there, right. Is that what, what implications did that lockout have on the league where in all reality has it, has a professional sport ever lost a full season like the NHL did? Not that I can remember. I know baseball has had lockout scares or lockout problems, but uh, as far as as far as my memory takes me, I don't think that anyone's lost a full season. Uh, yeah, so that lockout was a definitely an interesting year. Uh, yeah, then we went into the two thousand five the draft. I think that was, that was the Crosby. Was it the Crosby and Ovechkin draft? And they came into the league and. They were the first two guys that I can remember that came into the league and just took it by storm straight away. And then now you see that a lot. Now you see that with a McDavid or like a Patrick Kane or Nathan McKinnon, who they just come in the league and they're ready to go. Now, some we talk about this a lot. Some guys, we get spoiled with all this new talent that can step in right away. It takes other guys uh, a little bit longer, somebody like a Quentin Byfield. So it's something that I think that I and I think other fans need to remember that not everybody is a Crosby, uh, Ovechkin, or a McDavid. And it's going to take people a little bit longer to develop. But uh, yeah, just back to the their original point. Yeah, Crosby and Ovechkin, it's possible. You definitely make the argument that they saved the NHL considering we were fresh off a lockout and we lost a full season. I, I think they did. The game's changed, right? And it, it definitely followed those guys. 
back in the day, you you didn't get a sniff of the NHL without spending at least three years in the minors. And um, yeah, Josh, you're right. I think maybe we kind of over expect now from guys and we, that should probably be the model still. You got to, you got to spend some time and get used to being a pro before coming up. But um, Crosby and Ovechkin definitely changed the game and the way it's played and the type of players that they're looking for, right? It's more skill-based now. Um, and it's also, uh, you know, it's gotten a little younger. Um, it's gotten faster. And, you know, some of the rules have changed as well. That's a great segue, Corey, into something that we were kind of chatting about earlier today. There's been a lot of hits around the league. The Kings have uh, seen a couple hits that have turned quickly into scrums. Um, and, and, you know, ultimately, this is a contact sport, right? Uh, we saw the, the quote from Tortorella, uh, basically, where Holloway uh, hit Luke Hughes. And luckily, he's not injured, but um, everybody loses their mind with the, with the hit nowadays. Now, you mentioned the skill has increased. The speed has increase the player size their protective equipment has gotten better um sticks have gotten better everything's gotten faster stronger all that kind of stuff um and they've taken away the ability to slow down players right so where's the line that we, we need to draw where guys are able to go full tilt but they also need to be able to ultimately like protect themselves because it is a full contact sport yeah, going back to the quote from Tortorella, he definitely was addressing the fact that um, knowing how to protect yourself and you know being able to take a hit and protect yourself in places uh, on big hits is kind of a lost art. Um, and it seems like the frustration um, that I know you've voiced before, Ryan, that you guys have talked about, anytime there's a, a hit, I would say just like a sizable hit, maybe not even like your back in the day, quote unquote, big hits that would be on the Jumbotron. But any like like decently solid hit nowadays, you have to like answer the bell right away. And it seems, yeah, it seems kind of weird. Um, you know, back in the day, they would say, "Hey, keep your head up." You know, you're skating through the middle of the ice. The onus used to be put on that player um, to keep his head up. He was going in the middle. You can't go through the middle with your head down. You go through the middle with your head down. This is what happens. And and the onus was on that guy, right? So learn to protect yourself. Um, yeah, there's got to be some kind of line. And um, yeah, I. It's weird. It's kind of hard to, yeah. Go. Do they go to a, a no hit league? I don't think the fans want that, man. You got, you you don't have everybody in there that come to the games and just want to see the goals and the scoring and the speed. You got some fans who really do want to go in there and they want to see the physicality. They want to see those big hits. Uh, but yeah, they do want to see the fights too. But um, I don't think that you should have to. You know, every hit shouldn't lead to a fight every single time. Yeah, and not to uh, not to put us over, but I mean, we kind of we talked about this on the corner long ago. We actually were kind of up on this before the Tortorella quote came out. If you want me to read it, I got it. Uh, the skill in the game is fantastic. I think some of the rule changes we've made have improved the game, but I don't think we should take the foundation of the National Hockey League out. Hits are allowed back in the day, and I'm not trying to go way back, but you've got to learn how to take a hit. Uh, that's a big play in winning games is taking a hit to make a play and being braced to take these hits. And if you did have a big hit, you shouldn't have to fight someone two seconds later because it's a big hit. It's a man's game. We've got it convoluted a little bit. Yeah. So that's all facts as far as I can tell with the Tortorella quote. And I, sometimes I wonder, you know, so this is kind of where I was going with it when we were talking about it, uh, Marv, where, you know, if every hit is going to be a problem, I do have a solution to this, not with something that I would ever want. But I have a solution of every hit is going to be a problem. And it's something that Tortorella is alluding to. Well, might as well have to become the no-hit league. Nobody wants that, right? So then I've, we're trying to figure out where the line is or what the problem is. And my mind sometimes goes to – I feel like some of the kids coming up in the league have sort of abandoned the unwritten rules of the game where that somebody we all kind of instinctively knew. But, I mean – that's also part of the generation's job before them to kind of pass that down. So it's twofold. It's either the generation before the kids coming up and play now failed to do that, or the generation now has just abandoned it as a whole. And maybe it's not their fault. Maybe it's as Ryan said, where it's the guys are too fast, too big, too strong, too is too enclosed of an area. And now we're just going to running into each other at full speed because we can't slow them down. Maybe it's not their fault and it's just a byproduct of the rule changes and the speed and the skill of the game. So it's really, it's hard to judge. 
Uh, but it does seem like every hit is a problem, even if it's a clean hit. And if a clean hit is a problem, what's a dirty hit going to be? You know, now we're going to overblow that dirty hit. So it's real, it's real tough to call. It's real tough to judge. Yeah, I didn't even think about that when you guys were kind of bringing it up. Like, Ryan, you mentioned like slowing guys down. You kind of remove that ability from defenders to do that. Um, you know, when they talk about that rule, your mind goes to, well, you know, you want to generate offense, right? If I'm slowing that guy down, that's not letting the player have a chance to get the puck or do whatever. But I'm thinking now, like, too, you know, right, you play defense. You would probably want to slow a guy down at times, too, just so your your D partner doesn't get blasted into the end wall, right? Is that another reason why a D might slow a guy down? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and then you're, you know, you were slowing guys down and the goaltenders got so good. Marty Brodeur, who could play the puck better than most some defensemen, mm-hmm. honestly, like that guy was so good with the puck that they then had to create a rule that allowed goalies to only play the puck in certain areas of the ice. Right. They put him in a box. <laughs> right. So whatever they're doing, they're constantly making the rules. And a lot of times I think I had made this quote on one of our previous shows. Um, sometimes there's unintended consequences with those rules. Right. And, and I think that's where we're at is that we're, we're seeing some unintended consequences, you know, the fighting um, in, in the way that they're changing the games and, and you see, you know, guys are wearing neck guards now, you know what I mean? And I wouldn't be surprised if they try to mandate that on new players coming into the league when realistically anybody getting cut with a skate, the percentage is probably 0.00001% of a chance that that actually happens, especially when you're playing with guys who play under control. I think that that's where it, it, it really does come down to breaking into this league. There does need to be that period of time where you kind of have to go learn to be a pro. And, you know, and then you're going to get a chance sort of thing, right? Because you got guys that are coming in and they haven't had a chance to, or they haven't had to pay their dues like they did in the past. And they're trying to make a, make a name for themselves. Um, and so, you know, there's a level of play that you need to qualify for in order to play in the national hockey league. And that ultimately means that over the course of 82 games plus playoffs, you're a responsible player and you're not going to do things that are super reckless and are going to cause other people injuries sort of thing. Right. Um, Cause nobody wants to go to work and not be able to work the next day. Right. And men's hockey or the NHL. Um, they want to be able to do their job and they, and, and rightfully so, but at the same time, and I, I, it's, it's a, it's an unintended consequence when we're trying to bring in, young, talented, exciting players where there's hype. You know, that's one thing the NFL does extremely well. That draft, that NFL draft is like, my gosh, how much money is being is being made in our economy just on the draft of these young 20-year-old kids, right? Um, and then everybody wants to see what they can do. So it, it's finding that balance where we can create uh, a game where it's exciting and people, but also realizing that, in order to have the game be sustainable, we need to be able, there's got to be qualifications that you meet in order to play in this, in this league. Um, yeah. So it's kind of, a- yeah, sure. And, uh, you guys made the point about like being a, being a defenseman where I feel like this used to have, this kind of play used to happen a lot back in the day where the forward was coming in, he would gain the red and he would chip it in. Right. And the defenseman usually could stand him up a little bit. All right now you get called for interference for doing that. But used to you, you stand him up and the other D partner comes in and it would get that puck. Now when it gets chipped in and you can't stand him up, now you got a forward and a defenseman going full speed in the corner. Now it becomes a situation where it's well, it's either me or you that's going to get blown up here because there's a there's a puck to be won. And I feel like that kind of play was didn't happen as often when uh, you know as as we say and it's it's unintended consequences of taking the obstruction out of the game. So here we are now, such is life. And this happens in all facets where it's the, it's the constant butting of heads of tradition and creativity. And we see the D, uh, the dividends of the creative side of the game. And it's a joy to watch and it's great. But the, the downside of all of that is it seems like most every hit is an unsafe hit, right? So, but that's what you get when, when you go too far one way and I don't even know that we've gone too far I mean I want the creativity and I want the offense and I want to see these guys be the best hockey players they can be but we're in an enclosed area here there's got to be some tradition left in the game to keep the boys safe out there 
Is there a zone? Is there an area on the ice where there's more danger um, involved for uh, injury per se? Go ahead, Cor. Well, I, I, I see guys at the behind the net, right? When player D men go get the puck, that used to be the big thing. You know, you turn your back. You know, they try to institute those stop signs on the on the back of young kids' jerseys to teach kids to avoid just trucking through the back of players into the boards. I know that's a dangerous spot anytime you're trying to get the uh, you know get the puck out of your own end. But it seems like the middle of the ice nowadays with these like head contact hits is what we're seeing more often. So I don't know. Is there an, an uptick of players skating through the middle, you know, of the neutral zone, you know, coming into the offensive zone with your, with your head down and guys getting clipped on the jaw or chin there. It seems like that's where a lot of things are now. Yeah. We saw that with Blake Lazat. That's why he's out. Um, so again, it's like, I wonder about the, the new generation coming up. It's like, there was an unwritten rule where you play the game hard and you want to make the big hit, but it's your fellow hockey player out there and you kind of protect each other. Uh, I don't, I don't see as much as that anymore where you have kind of have a respect for your fellow player out there. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I'm not saying they don't have it. It's just, it's hard to tell these days with the, with the speed and the skill. Um, so is there a, is there a, a spot on the ice that is more dangerous than other? Yeah. I mean, I think Cork kind of hit it in the middle of the ice seems like, when those hits happen, that's where we get the scrums and that's where we get the fights. But I, I still believe down in the corners uh, against the wall, I think is probably the most dangerous spot. It seems like that's where, I mean, I don't know, even you get a stick or you stick in your feet and you slam it on the wall or like even a, you see a guy with a half breakaway and a defenseman's trying to chase him down, he gets a stick on him and the, the forward goes crashing into the wall. So I don't know. Uh, along the wall in the owns in your in the defensive zone, I would say is probably the most dangerous spot if I had to pick one. Yeah, I think I, I was looking back, and I don't remember if this ever like fully came through, but I remember at some point in time they had created a system where rinks could upgrade their surfaces. And it would essentially um, mark the ice with an additional line. Um, an orange zone, 40 inches wide, starting at the base of the boards around the perimeter of the ice surface. So right like that, that, you know, three to four feet near the boards is kind of like when you're in this zone, you need to look up and you need to be like under control and paying attention, right? Because those, I think a lot of times when guys are going into the end boards, that's when we're seeing, uh, people get, you know, neck injuries or, or other sorts of injuries. Um, and I, that never really, I think that never really panned out the way that they wanted to, right? It was about teaching young kids like, Hey, when you get around the boards, like you gotta be, you've got to be under control. Um, but at the same time, there's a skill, right? Tortorella talks in that quote about a skill of being able to take a check. Guys have learned how to take a check. Have you guys seen when guys literally dive, they get pushed into the boards from behind. They know it's coming. Boom. They, they smack their face into the glass. It looks like a horrific hit, but then they get up and they're just fine. You know, I love Dustin Brown, but he used to do those. He used to do that all the time. And guess what? He would draw penalties because he knew it was coming. He knew how to put himself into the boards in a position that looked horrible, but it wasn't dangerous. So now you have this like guys that are taking advantage of the system, advantage of areas where quote unquote danger and concern are, and they're utilizing that for their team's advantage to go on the power play. Um, and I know this happens in soccer all the time. Do we want the game of hockey to turn into soccer where guys are flopping around on the uh, field because they're faking it? Definitely not. I don't, I don't, I don't not believe that that happens. Uh, I think it happens more than I would like to admit. By the way, I'm kind of a, the way I played, I was sort of, I'm kind of a diving advocate. Only, only insofar as sometimes there are infractions committed that if we're looking through the lens of hockey, through the old school lens, there are infractions committed that refs won't call because they feel it's not enough. And sometimes I took that, I said, you know what? I'm going to probably embellish this because I did get fouled uh, but they're not going to call it anyway. So I'm going to hit the ice because I, it was a penalty, right? And I think 
maybe some players have that a similar mindset like that. Uh, but I think I, I think I have seen players fly into the wall and there's really no need for it. And then now, next thing you know, they're on the ensuing power play. You go, well, this can't, this can't be a thing. This is not what we wanted. Hey, did Am you I get am? a chance to, to uh, watch the Kings and Capitals game? Me? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I watched the whole deal. What, what, uh, what was your take on it? I thought the Kings dominated the game. They ran into just a hot goalie, but I had no problems with the way they were playing. I mean, they had chances galore. I felt like the Capitals had two chances in the game, and they buried both of them. So I overall, I was not displeased with how the Kings played. I thought they played really well. I think sometimes... Just like the Kings, when they sucked and were really bad, would all of a sudden just beat a team out of nowhere. I thought it was one of those games where they had no business a few years ago beating like the Colorados. They got really good, but all of a sudden the Kings would sneak up on them and beat them. So um, I actually thought the Kings played really well. Just just couldn't get stuff to go. I mean, you had Kopi going off size by four inches. You had Kempe hitting the post there, like right at the elbow, down at the corner, the corner of the corner. Yeah. Right, <laughs> uh, you know, right at the end there. So I was really happy with the way that they played. I thought they contained the Capitals real well, but you know, they just made something out of very few chances. The Capitals made something out of, and I didn't really fault the goaltending of the defense on the chances. I mean, teams are going to get chances. It's the NHL. I just thought they they capitalized on them. They got that bunt rebound out of the air, and you know, I, those things happen. But I was I was not displeased with the way the Kings played at all. Yeah, I, I got to second that. Like, I, I was happy too. I think you walk away from that game being like, "Wow, the Kings played very well." You're right, limited the chances, and they they were going like they were they were buzzing. That goalie for the Capitals looked exhausted, and I've been there a couple <laughs> times, man. But you get tired when teams are all over you. It just it's like a wrestling match. You're on the ground, you're rolling around, and that's that's exhausting. You know what I mean? So, um, but I want to kind of throw this to Joshy real quick, and then you guys can, um, or just, I know Josh, you talked about it. This is one of those games where the Kings maybe haven't been able to find this part of their game yet. Um, the old Kings, they had, they had a really hard time scoring goals, um, winning on back-to-back days where they're, you know, playing at one o'clock. We checked those boxes this year. We're, we're blowing good teams out. We're scoring lots of goals. We're winning games that we should win. Um, but Josh, you brought this up. What about scoring an ugly, greasy, dirty, mucky goal when you need it down late, you know? Um, and it wasn't for a lack of effort, but, um, you know, what's it going to take for the Kings to be able to get some ugly goals in front of the net there, Josh? I don't know. That's the takeaway from the game too, right? There's really not much to say about the Kings Capitals game, but what we saw is pretty much what we saw. I thought we dominated for at least 55 minutes of the game and just didn't find a way to score. Um, but that's it kind of it was sort of reminiscent to the Flyers game but the only difference is is we got the lead and they kind of got a lucky bounce and got back in it and then here's what if the Kings go long stages without scoring it just favors the road team they get to still play their little road game and like and that we don't like that and they like to play that way so we kind of not fell into a capitals trap but that's just kind of how the game went that's just how it came about and we couldn't find a way to score the goal so now here's the interesting thing is Obviously, you're not going to try to stop trying to generate the best or the most quality scoring chance that you can find. You don't ever want to stop doing that. But for whatever reason, it just wasn't going in. It did kind of go in. We were just offsides. But <laughs> so then you got to find a way to sort of change the approach to the game, even though you don't really want to. Does that make any It's like we don't want to stop generating the best chance that we can get. But it wasn't working. And I saw Lindgren uh, before the game, he had a 0.926 save percentage. Like, oh, that's, it's better than the other guy. So we could be in one here. And it turns out that we were. So how do you, uh, how do you sort of change that? And how do you sort of inject it into the DNA? And how do we get greasy goals? It's by getting, in my personal opinion, it's by getting the biggest bodies in front of the net. Byfield has put in some work down there in front of the net, but I just feel like, when we're not scoring the pretty goals, I feel like there's not enough players in our personnel that uh, that want to get there and kind of do the dirty work. You know, Kopitar, for all his – I mean, he's the best player on the Los Angeles Kings. Kopitar doesn't really get there very often. Uh, he did have a chance to get a greasy one, just kind of hopped over a stick or whatever. Um, but we don't have a lot of players like that that are going to uh, 
get some cheap ones, a, a la a Tom Wilson, something like that. Uh, so uh, I'm not sure, but yeah, it's just not in our DNA to to do that. And when the when the games go the way they did against Philadelphia and Washington, we could find ourselves in a bit of trouble. Yeah, the Caps had a lot of blocked shots too. I forget what the number was at the end of it, but um, it was insane. A lot of shots Whatever the number was, Corey, it was insane. There was, was nuts. Insane. They were blocking everything. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I feel like you're when you're blocking a lot of shots, that means the puck's in your own end a lot too, right? Yeah, and it means it means the other team has possession. It means the other team has the puck. That's that's the analytical uh, take on on block shots. Uh, they they kind of look at block shots as a positive for the other team. And uh, for me, I, I disagree. Block shots is an art block shots is a skill. And uh, while it might not look good when the, when the Kings have, I don't know the numbers, let's call it 70 shot attempts to 40. It doesn't look good for the other team, but they were blocking shots. They were getting in lanes and they were doing, they're playing a road game like they wanted to. So I guess hats off to them, but uh, that's a game the Kings, Probably should have won. Right. You ever been on a team where you 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 felt your team getting frustrated from the opponents kind of sitting back, maybe, you know, kind of packing the house and just blocking shots? Can that get frustrating as a as an offensive team who feels like they're carrying the pace of play? Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And probably from a goaltender's perspective, you know, the more and more you're seeing the puck, feeling the puck, or you know, the team's blocking shots in front of you, it gives you confidence. And then all you got to do is pop one, you know what I mean? And then they're they're on their heels. And that's exactly what happened. I was kind of looking through the stats as you guys were talking about the game. Um, and and typically what happens from a physicality perspective uh, is the team that dominates the play, you know, the opponent will have a, a ton more hits on the board, right? Because they're constantly chasing. But really the hit disparity was quite close. So the total hit count for Washington was only 17. And the total hit count for LA was 12. So a difference of five in which the shot total was significant, right? 39 for LA and 15 for, um, so they more than doubled the shots that the Capitals had. So that's a tough game for Talbot to stay alive. You know what I mean? You're only getting a, a touch on the puck, maybe a couple times a period. Um, and, and then, yes, I do believe that it is difficult. Now, what that leads me to believe is that there may be something where uh, because of the Kings team speed overall, um, if you get a lead, it's clutch and grab, stay inside, do not let them penetrate. Don't chase, don't try to, you know what I mean? Don't try to take the body in any unnecessary situations. Um, the Kings, you know what I mean? They, it's not like you need to take the body on them all that, all that often. It really, I think, becomes a more of a, a, a positional game if you get up on the Kings, you know what I mean? Uh, because do they have the guys, they have a couple, but do they have enough guys who can make, who can make a uh, beat you one-on-one. -on -one, right. And that's kind of what it takes when they're packing it in. You've got to make a play. You've got to make a play on somebody, you know what I mean? To get inside the box, to get to the house, um, to get in and, and get some garbage. Um, a lot of great puck movement. Kings are really good moving the puck around the perimeter. Um, but we have maybe one guy that comes to mind when I think of somebody who can beat somebody one-on-one. -on -one, and that's where, you know, I think transitioning to Gabe Velarde and the conversation that he had, he was one of those guys who could break people down one-on-one, -on -one, beat them out of the corner. He was a guy who could get net front and was really good on the power play as well. Um, there was an interesting interview that we heard from Gabe Velarde. Um Thomas. team and no doubt lots of excitement and then to kind of have it go the way it did uh frustration yeah i mean every time you get hurt it's uh it's frustrating no matter who you're playing but uh yeah i was excited and then uh that's how it goes all. um was it just in your eyes just kind of a freak accident freak play the kind that can sort of happen in a contact sport uh i think you could say that but at the same time no i don't um, personally, I think it was kind of a play that doesn't need to happen, but uh, what am I supposed to do now? It's a former teammate of yours, a guy who played with you for four seasons that well, he was on. Well, I played with him a lot. He's done a lot of little things like that. It's stuff that, you know, you guys say it's an awkward fall. It's not an awkward fall. It's uh, someone pushing your feet out from the back. 
when he gets caught under me and then he tackles me. It's a, it's that simple. Um, I was pretty close to being gone for the rest of the season. So, I mean, it's it's frustrating to look at stuff like that and think about it. Uh, obviously, I don't think his intent is to hurt me. But uh, when you make plays like that, it's it's a stupid play. And uh, frustrating to think that guy sits in the box for two minutes and then I have to deal with what I've dealt with for the past uh, month and a half. But uh, it's life. Um, now I'm here. And uh, looking forward to, to playing again, just having fun again. All right, there you go. You got to get the gist. So, okay, Marv, what do you make of that? So the, the first thing that pops up to my mind is that he was right. It it was a dumb play from my point of view. I, I talked to my buddy Jeff too. I text him. It it seemed weird. It seemed like it seemed like a <laughs> Lazat was like this weird rabid dog in the back of an alley and just like rah, 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 chasing some guy, nipping at his heels, like tackling him from below his waist from behind. And it, it wasn't a hockey play. There was no, I didn't see anything of a hockey. I've actually never really seen much like that. Like how often have you seen somebody get down in like a three point NFL stance essentially, and like tackle somebody's legs out from behind them. It was weird. It was, it was real weird when I saw it. Um, not normal. You could sense the frustration in my opinion. I think he makes a great point, though. The frustrating part is the guy goes, makes a, a dumb play, what Vlardy said. He sits two minutes. He's back out there. I almost missed my entire season. You know what I mean? He was fortunate to where now I think they got him wearing a brace, I read. And, you know, luckily for him, he's he's skating and playing now. But, you know, that's what, six uh, six weeks later, um, going on seven, eight. So, yeah, that, that's got to be frustrating. Um and I'll, I'll let you guys go, but the the part that I was curious about there there was we didn't get to hear it quite yet on the on the interview, but they kind of asked him if um if you know if uh, Lazat reached out and kind of like what that conversation was like and um Gabe Gabe just said you know that's between us and uh, you know that could mean whatever I'm just curious it, it seemed like he was unhappy but he also said that he played with Lazat a lot and he was not like surprised um for the way that Lazat plays for him doing that kind of stuff. I, I don't know, you know, what, if there was something deeper there or what, if there was some pre animosity or what, what, do you, what are you guys thoughts there? Sounds, sounds to me like they may have exchanged words through text and they weren't the most pleasant. I don't know. That's speculation, right? We don't have access to their phones, obviously. Now this is the thing, right? And I, I hate to, I hate to take it to where I'm about to take it, but, and it, obviously Gabe Lardy's not a King anymore. So we're Los Angeles Kings fans. So, Try to make this as quick as possible. We just we saw something. I know Core and I were kind of we're Velarde Mark, so this is probably why it's being discussed. Here's the heat that Kings fans now have with Gabe. This is why they turned on him. He had a quote when the when the trade happened. This was before the injury. The quote is this: "I'd be lying uh, not to say, but in LA, they're not big hockey fans out there. Obviously, they have the Kings fans that come to the games and are loyal, but it's different being in Canada. You do miss it. So that's the heat." that the Kings fans have with Gabe. And uh, unfortunately, he's also right about that. That's always been true about the Kings, about Kings fans. There's a, a small contingent of diehards, and then the rest of the fans show up when the team is good. That's actually not even true about the Kings. That's true about all LA sports teams, right? That's just how it's been forever. Now, here's the – let me put a disclaimer on this. The people that – that there's nothing that runs me hotter than these – anonymous people on the internet and they come out with their takes about and they just sort of it, insult people or like they bury a gay Velarde. they say he's made a glass or he's bald or whatever like this might be now here's the disclaimer they've exposed something in me that i need to work on that's why it runs me so hot i feel like but the problem is it's like we want people to be honest. We want hockey players to tell the truth. We want them to say how they feel because we're sick of the old cliches and the tired narratives and all this. Not Now you have a guy that actually does it. And the response is because he tells the truth. Oh, if you baldy, you made a glass, you suck. Dubois always been, bro. It's, can we not be homers for four seconds in this life? Like, can we look at it subjective and be honest? And the thing that runs me hot about it is, I know this is a slippery slope, but it's like these people who are too chicken shit to put a face behind the name and they come out here with all this outlandish nonsense. It's like, 
<laughs> if I was in charge of the internet, this is the slippery slope part, but you've got to have a, at least have a face behind the name because now you're just going to get trolls who just say whatever the hell they want and they kind of want to have their cake and eat it too when it comes to somebody being honest about how they feel. Now you get that and now he gets buried for it. So it just runs me hot and I'll throw it to Marv. Yeah, no, I, hey man, I think that's a really good, really good points. Well taken. Um, especially when you're running into people with perspectives that it just kind of like you're, you're targeting somebody from a personal perspective. I mean, that's not, we're not about that, you know, regardless. Um, I will say in review of the play, you know, when you watch it happen at, at, at real speed, it's really weird. It's awkward. And I think ultimately that's kind of what happens. Sometimes there are awkward plays, you know, Lazat was chasing a loose puck. Uh, Velarde, who is a great, who is one of the best puck protectors along the wall, um, turns his body to protect the puck. And then Lazat's stick is on the left side of his body and his, and his physical body is on the right side. So he kind of gets, he kind of gets turned in a weird position. And, uh, and then, and then Velarde, instead of falling, he tries to put his right foot back to kind of like slow the fall. And then that's when Lazat comes down on his knee and uh, sprains his MCL. I've had an MCL sprain a couple times. It is it is not a good sprain for hockey just because of the movement that you skate. And then on top of that, Gabe Velarde is kind of a knock kneed skater. Um, where you know a lot, some guys are bow legged when they skate and they skate with a wide base. Not Velarde, like he's got a little bit of a knock knee to his game, which puts additional stress onto that MCL, the medial collateral ligament. So um, it, that's going to be an issue, something that he's going to have to strengthen over the course of the remainder of this season. But then also something he's going to have to address. Maybe he's got some tightness in the uh, in the lateral aspect of his quadriceps that's causing that, or some hip angle issues. Um, Needless to say, I think, you know, we're still, the jury's still out if the trade was a good trade. And I think that's kind of all which, what we're taught, why we're talking about this. Cause Velarde, we did like him. The problem that we had or the issue there was the injuries. Um, and then, you know, do we, uh, you know, do, I think we just have to give it time. We're, we're going to have to ultimately give it time and, and let the season play it, itself out. Um, there's a high end to Velarde's game that is kind of a mystery to everybody. Um, and so it's, it's, it's just going to take time to see if that trade actually pans out. Obviously that, that video that Josh sent us today from an amazing Velarde assist, who are they playing? And they were playing uh, Chicago. Yeah. Beautiful dish. He's a great player, you know? And the thing that I love about LA Kings and LA Kings corner is that we do have our favorites. Obviously, every fan has their favorite players, right? That's a normal thing. Um, but it's also it's always good too to kind of reflect on like, hey, where we're at now, we're we're in a good spot. But you know, if you look at Tyler Tyler Toffoli, who's a guy that we gave away when we were rebuilding, like he sure would be a nice guy to have right now, wouldn't he? Yeah. You know, so you know, reflecting on on the rebuild, like poof. Tyler Toffoli sitting like if you look at moneypuck.com, you know, he's the ninth best player in the league right now. Would you would you would you take Fiala out and plug in Tyler Toffoli? Jen Jen just said yes in the background. <laughs> <laughs> it's you know, speaking of stuff like that though, it's such a tough mix because like you could look at a lot of rosters. You look at the Vegas roster, they've got like four or five dudes that used to play for us and they won the cup last year. So it's, uh, it, it's almost easy. Like in hindsight to go back and be like, Oh man, if we still had Martinez and, uh, Oh gosh, uh, yeah. yeah. And to fully throw those, those guys back. I think in part is you've only got so many places for these guys to play. And if, if you've got all those guys, they can only play so many minutes. You also have to, and we talked about this on one of the games or one of the, the uh the podcast before but it you got that roster management of you only got so much money to go around you've got players that you need to get pt that have very little cap hit so that you can afford the guys that have a large cap hit and i think that that's one of the things blake has done really good at is managing the roster to a point where hey we can't afford to keep all of these dudes and still get guys who are ready to come up like some pt and we also have to manage guys 
and like save a year we're talking about is it um oh clark we were talking about that during that game like the guy's stuffed in the minors essentially because if he's not he's gonna burn a year off his contract and that's a year that we're gonna have to pay him earlier so i think a lot of those things go into it you know but i mean yeah i'd love to have a few of those guys back from the cup winning kings and throw them with this roster but then you're shifting other guys that have had an impact down the line a little bit and i don't think you could afford to pay them all anyway so i think that's a little tough one but if i could go back to the lazat hit i'm kind of watching it uh i it's been so long i kind of forgot about the play but i'm watching he missed a stick lift just before he contacted him and he like you said right he ended up with a stick on one side of him and his body on the other and he did finish his check but gabe's foot falling underneath him that way as i'm watching it and pausing it that was kind of unnatural too. And I don't know that like he's saying he thought it was a bit of a cheap play and he thinks Lazat plays like that. Lazat plays with an edge, but I've never thought of him as a dirty player, one that takes advantage of guys in a bad position. I think that the way Velarde fell was a little bit unnatural. Just like Lazat went into him unnatural. He went in for the stick lift and missed it. He was leaning forward like Corey descriptively put in the three point stance. And I was like, so I go back and watch it and I'm like, I can see it. But only because he was reaching, he missed the stick lift, and now Lazat's off balance. He hits him right on his hip, and he turns him, and Lazat's leg getting pinned underneath him is like, I'm like watching, like, how'd that happen? Like, how'd you end up with your back leg underneath you falling backwards? Like, if he almost did what 90% of the dudes in the NHL do is both of their feet go out from underneath them, then he just falls on his hip, and he's fine. So... It was kind of weird on both of their parts with how Lazat went into him and how Lazat or how Velarde ended up falling back onto his leg and spraining his knee. So yeah, kind of interesting. It's, it's just weird. The Lazat's so low and he's kind of it turns into like a little bit of a tackle. And I don't know how you could be natural um in protecting yourself yeah. or something like that at that point. But I guess where we really need to get to with this is Pierre Luc Dubois. Um I, I I'm not sure. Like I, what I've what I've told myself, and I just I need to abide by this. And in, in talking to Jeff, because Jack Eichel went to Vegas, I guess he was not that great initially, but then had a really good year. I don't think they're the same player, but I'm hoping that Pierre Luc Dubois, you know, given some time, will silence my frustration with the trade because as of now, um. Like we talked about, just to tie this back into the Capitals game, like we all said, every single one of us was like super stoked and happy with the effort that we saw out of the LA Kings. They were going, they were buzzing, they were trying. The only person I didn't really see that from was Pierre-Luc Dubois. I didn't see him like going full tilt and diving in there and trying to make stuff happen. That guy looks like he doesn't give a shit. And that might just be a body language thing, but he hasn't got me yet, and I hope he does. Um, I'm going to try to give him time. I, I'm supposed to give him this year, new team, new place, new friends, new city, new system, new league. Oh, you know, he's in the West coast now, all that. So let's revisit this down the road. But for me at this point, he's not worth 8.5 mil. That's all I'm going to say. I think there you go. I think that's the nail. And I think that's why we spent an extended amount of time talking about Gabe Velarde, because really what we're trying to get to is the, the Pierre Dubois. So when we see Dubois, doing whatever it is that he's doing kind of next to nothing so far. And then you kind of revisit and go, well, it'd be nice to have Velarde and I follow back, right? Because those are two guys that you can plug in anywhere. Particularly you know, I follow can play top six. If he really wants to Gabe played top six and produced. And it's like, we talked about this before we got on the show is what's the difference between last year's team and this year's team. The only difference is we have competent goaltending goaltending right off the hop. That's the only difference. Because as soon as we got competent goaltending last year, we were off to the races, and we had we had Velarde and I'll follow, and we were still kind of basically the same, winning the same amount of games. So that's really the only difference. Now, as reluctant as I am to accuse somebody of not trying uh, or not putting 100% effort in, I don't see it. It doesn't look like it. I mean, I don't know that if, he, if he's not giving 100% every shift, but it doesn't look like he's giving 100% every shift. And if we can tie it into his time in Columbus and Winnipeg, that was the narrative surrounding Dubois was that 
He's going to float around most of the time. And every now and then he'll decide to try. And it looked like he, it looks like he can take over a shift. That's exactly what it looks like through 20 games so far. That's exactly, I think we got exactly what was advertised. Now we're going to give him a grace period. Maybe he truly hated Columbus. Maybe he truly didn't like it in Winnipeg. Maybe he actually likes it out here and it's going to take him some time to really get going a la a Jack Eichel. Fair enough. But through 20 games, I, you know, it'd be one thing if it looked like he was putting in 100% effort on every single shift and not producing. I could live with that. But he's not producing and it doesn't look like he's trying. So that's a problem for eight and a half million dollars to be your third line center. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm with you on that. Like, I, I see exactly what you're saying. The only saving grace for me, I've got a few things on, on Dubois. I'm hoping the fact that he's big and like bigger dudes just never look like they're going very fast, even though they are. I've seen a few where he looks like he's cruising, but all of a sudden he's past the dude and he's in on goal. And you're kind of like watching the replay, like how'd that happen? Cause he's barely moving his feet, but he is, he does have speed. I think his size makes him look slower, but also, you know, so if I'm going to give him a little bit of grace, it's going to be right there. He looks like he's either lost or not comfortable or he just plays an apprehensive game, but he's not like a bulldog. And I don't think he's ever going to be. I don't think it's in his nature. I don't think it's in his personality. Like you look at a guy like Fiala, if you could give the, the, the passion that Fiala plays with, if you could put that into Dubois body, I think you've got something really special there. Um, right. You know, but Kopi over the years, Kopi has looked apathetic like he doesn't care. That's been a knock on Kopi for years. He's a big lumbering dude. He doesn't move very fast, but Kopi's really smart, puts himself in good positions. I'm hoping that with the coaching staff and the system that we've got in place and the guys we can surround Dubois with, he'll kind of find that ability to be in the places he needs to be to be effective. But I don't think he's ever going to look like he's trying, either because he's because he's not, which would be a bad thing, or just he's a big lumbering body that's kind of a bit slow but actually makes up speed when we can't see it as fans, but he does it on the ice. Um, but that's – I mean, that's what I'm hoping because, yeah, for $8.5 million and what we gave up to get him here, yeah. it's a little bit rough. I think that the thought process, or at least I'm hoping, was we're going to consolidate the talent in those three players that we gave up into one dude that's going to make about the same amount of money, and now we're going to bring it up other dudes that can fill those spots for cheaper – Again, cap management, right? And he's going to be a huge dude down the middle that's going to be a bigger asset. But he's just not yet, like you said, there's no production there. And half the time it looks like he's either lost or, like you said, doesn't really care. And if it's the latter and he doesn't really care, that's a big bummer. Because we gave up a lot and we're paying him a lot. And uh, I'm hoping that turns around. But I'm hoping that's not the case. If he's a professional player, I don't think that's true. So I agree, Jules. And it, it at the same time, like to not completely just poop on him, like it, there's not a real big drop off either. You go Kopitar line, the no line, you throw uh, Dubois line out there. You, it feels like you can throw anyone at, at any time, you know? Um, yeah. It, 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 I guess it, the frustration is where it, even we talked to my, uh, our, my youngest brother, Dal, um, he said that at times you'll see like him just kind of cruise around out there. And then there'll be times where it's like he'll kind of get down low, take a puck, and then just skate the puck out himself. Like he, he could take over, you know. Um, it's just we want to you 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 kind of wonder like why you don't see that a little bit more often. You know what I mean? Um, and I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if it's a style thing or just a, a visual thing. Another plus side, Josh. We've talked about faceoffs. Uh, you know, he seems to be doing okay in the dot. Um, you know, if we can just milk the best out of him, and hopefully, yeah, hopefully we surround him with the, the situations and the opportunities to where, you know, we, we can get them the most out of him going forward. But yeah, at this point, I'd rather, I'd rather have 5.5 million and Velarde. You know what I mean? Yeah. Give me Velarde yeah. and 5.5 mil of cap space. And I, I think we would be better off, but that's, I don't know. I don't know if you could do that or what, what the heck happens, but. Yeah, probably. And I'm wondering too, Josh, I know you're going to say something, but I'm wondering if the Dubois pickup was a replacement for Kopi and that Blake sees him in the same mold, same big body, same ability to play center. And I mean, Kopi's in his what, 18th, 19th year. I mean, dude's going to retire in not too long a time. And I think hoping that he could see a player just like Kofi and could go, Hey, I'm going to grab that dude. 
He's got a little bit of knock on him, but I'm going to grab him. I'm going to hope that he can play with Kopi for two, three years. And Kopi can, in a sense, mentor him and be like, hey, this is the way you need to play. We're very similar players. I'm hoping that that is what the goal was and that by the, you know, by year, hopefully two, three, it's like, oh, that's that's what was going on. And now we've got two Kopis on the team as Kopi transitions out. I mean, how long can Kopi play, really? Like two, three more years? Yeah, he's got a couple left. We have him for what this year and next year under contract. Is that right? I think, but yeah, I mean, two-year deal. I mean, he's going to be 20, 21 years in the league and not too long. So it's like he's only got a few years left. And I think that was the goal is to figure out how to replace the same body type as Kopi yeah. with, with that dominant center. And hopefully, if they can play together long enough, Kopi can kind of just teach him how to fill his shoes. And then you transition right along. And Dubois young, right? 25? Yeah. So, I mean, if you could really teach that dude how to play what Kopi does and end up with a Kopi-style player for 30 years straight in the franchise, you're going to be looking pretty good. And I'm hoping that was the goal. Yeah, Julesy, I I think I I agree with you on all accounts, actually, what you're saying about the consolidation of essentially two guys into one, uh, Villardi and Ofalo into Dubois. And I think the reason Blake got him was Similar body type. Kopi's on the way out. Uh, again, similar. Yeah, I think you're right on about all that. And I'll put him over for this, right? I'm not just this, not here to just bury everybody all the time. According to social media, the boys like him, right? And Marv, as you were saying, when he had that chance, when he actually decided to take over a shift that one time, and he got around that guy and he smoked his knee off the post, he could have easily not played the next game. But he sacked up and he. And he was out there. So that's a sign that he wants to be out there and care. So I'll put him over for that for sure. Uh, just I don't know if you guys want to do this. Uh, and we could do this. This is this just the hottest news in the NHL. Right. So I feel like we have to talk about it. And we could do it in a way that's not trivial or uh, uh, elementary or whatever. But I feel like we should mention it. And it's the Corey Perry uh, um, exodus out of Chicago. And I have his statement here. Obviously, you guys know the timeline by now, but I'm just going to read his statement and I'll throw it to you, Marv, and I'll get your take on it. Here's what Corey Perry says. I would like to sincerely apologize. It sounds like AI wrote it, but I would like to sincerely (laughs) apologize to the entire Chicago Blackhawks organization, including ownership, management, coaches, trainers, employees, and my teammates. I would also like to apologize to my fans and to my family. I am embarrassed and I have let you all down. As a result of my actions... There has been speculation and rumors. I am sickened by the impact this has had on others, and I want to make it clear that in no way did this situation involve any of my teammates or their families. Most importantly, I want to directly apologize to those who have been negatively affected, and I am sorry for the additional impact to others it has created. My behavior was inappropriate and wrong. I have started working with experts in the mental health and substance abuse field to discuss my struggles with alcohol, and I will take whatever steps necessary to ensure this never happens again. I hope to regain the trust and respect of everyone who has believed in me throughout my career. Once again, I am deeply sorry, Corey. And actually, just recently, I heard Bedard was answering a question about this. And he said, I can't believe this rumor has blossomed to what it has. It's absolutely ridiculous. So, Marv, what do you think on the drama surrounding Corey Perry, Bedard, and the Blackhawks? Well, the the rumor has it is Corey Perry bagged Bedard's mom, right? Like That's the rumor. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is the rumor. Is the rumor. <laughs> it, oh man! It, it just happened to come after a mom's trip, right? Is that how it kind of got started? Yeah. So some yeah. Uh, moms moms show up in Chicago. All of a sudden, next thing you know, Corey Perry's getting healthy. The internet does what the internet does, and they take the rest from there. I don't know. Like apparently, from what I'm hearing now, you know, from friends who are close to the team is that uh, an N-bomb was dropped, and that's what this is all about. That Corey Berry dropped an N-bomb. Hard R N-bomb. And I guess, that's, I guess that's what it is. I, I don't know, but yeah, I don't think we're ever going to really know the truth. You know what that's, I mean? Here's the question I'm going to pose to both of you. For whatever reason, on social media, it seems like people think they're obligated to know. Why? Why do why do people feel like they're obligated to know? To know what happened with Corey Perry in the Blackhawks? Like, like I have a right to know the truth. People feel like they have a right to know because he's a public figure and they should have all the details. I, for me, I totally disagree. 
And actually, I kind of disagree with even coming out with a statement. I don't think he has to explain himself to anybody. He owes nobody an explanation other than the person he harmed, his higher power, and himself. That's it. I don't know yeah. why fans think they are owed an explanation about this. Well, Jewel, is there is there something contractually in an, uh, a professional athlete's contract that gives some kind of like access to the media in their in their their deal? I mean. Yeah, they do. I mean, they do those post game interviews, but I mean, that's that's the only thing from at least from from a contractual point that they have to have media availability. But you know, when it's a situation, I mean, that's that's like post games, you know. But that's because the league wants that for you know PR stuff, and so they can get some sound bites off of the game. Uh, I mean, yeah, to your point, Josh, I don't know that it's anybody's right to know, but I can certainly understand the curiosity when when players are dismissed and stuff like this goes on, I think it's only natural to be like, well, what the heck happened? I mean, that's just a question anybody would have. If you heard a player was being terminated for contract, wouldn't you be like, well, why? I mean, I think that's just natural. But, yeah, do we have a right now? Not necessarily, but it is definitely curious. And as a sport who is seen as entertainment, who wants to get investment from fans and get them to buy in, I think that's how you do that, is getting people to care about what's going on in your sport. And if it's dismissed as well you don't have a right to know i think that almost can create i don't want to say division but it creates a well if we don't have a right to know anything about what's going on with these players who we see as entertainers then why am i going to invest into your sport if i if i can't get some type of satisfaction out of why movement goes on kind of like when there's a trade made right everybody wanted to know well, why was quickie traded or whatever right you want to know what goes on behind the scenes it's why shows like hard knocks are so like they're so popular because people love to be in the locker room behind the scenes, seeing decisions made. It makes you feel like you're part of what goes on with the team and on the ice. And it's, you know, I think even to a point that leads to podcasts like this, we love the Kings. We want to get behind what goes on with them. Even though we don't necessarily have any insight, we like to sit here and, and talk about what they might be thinking is going on. Right. And so I think that getting that kind of buy-in to a sport is going to lead to people when someone gets dismissed out of the blue, especially a player like Corey Perry, <laughs> people are going to start to, you know, they're going to start to think, well, what could have happened? And without information, and that's the weird thing, right? Because you can go down this line of like, well, no one has the right to know. But people are just going to start making up rumors. They're going to start to put together things that might make some sense and be circumstantial and be like, well, maybe this happened. And then it's going to get legs and it's going to get out of control. And I think with the with the modern social media that we've got, all it takes is one person that has any credibility to say, hey, I heard this. I don't know if it's true, but this is what I heard. Now it's off like wildfire. And I think that that's what went on with Connor Bedard's mom's story <laughs> is, you know, it it seems so out of this world to think that that's true. But then at the same time, you're like, well, I guess it could be. And, you know, enough people start saying it and perception becomes reality. And before you know it, it's like, that's the story. And it's like weird because it's like you would hope that's not the story. And now it's seeming like it's not the story, but you could see why it would have gotten totally out of control. Cause without some context, I think people just, it's gotta be something bad and they're going to go to like, well, what could have gone bad about this time? And they try to put that together. I don't know. It's weird. It's yeah. weird. Yeah. Well, the, the problem with the rumor in the beginning, before, before specifically before Connor Bedard came out and put the rumors to bed, I feel. I feel like that was the nail in the coffin for the rumor when Bedard said something about it. But the problem with the rumor in the beginning was it's actually not inconceivable to think about. Not because Perry's a scumbag or whatever, but just because there's so many stories that we've heard through the grapevine throughout the, the history of the NHL where players are sleeping with teammates' wives or and it's like, it's not an inconceivable rumor. So I think that's why it spread like wildfire. Uh, but here's the thing about, I think the Blackhawks just did not do Perry or Bedard or Mrs. Bedard any favors for handling it the way they handled it. And it's like, why, if the rumors were not true, which it doesn't look like they are, why, if the rumors were false, did they not cut an aggressive promo and go after the people or investigate where this rumor originated from. And the, the, wherever the rumor originated from, those people should be eligible to be sued. Because yeah, you think that's about, defamation of character, right? 1,000%. And you think about, like, if Bedard's in the playoffs one day, you think an NHL player is not going to use that chirp? If oh, they do God. It, oh, yeah. 
There's no doubt. There's no doubt. It's probably going to be me. <laughs> <laughs> or not the player, but the fan. I'm definitely using that shirt. All right. So. All right. Anyways, what else, what else? Do we have anything else on here, boys? I think, Josh, I think you kind of nailed it all there. Well, Kings, uh, Kings Avs on Sunday, 5 o'clock uh, breakdown. Do you guys have any uh, outlook, any predictions on the game? Oh, man. Let's, I, I just hope the boys have a good start is all. You know what I mean? I, again, love the effort. They were buzzing. They were throwing pucks at the net. Uh, let, let's let's start this game how we finished the last one as far as like that intent and that intention to, you know, really just they're trying to make things happen. I, it was fun to watch you. We got some we got some fun players in this team this year, man. Oh, yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you, too. Actually, I want to go back to something you said at the beginning, Josh. You had mentioned uh, the greasy goals and hoping that somebody got in and got one of those at the end of the Caps game there. But I don't really see the Kings as a – they're not like a Connor McDavid. Um, you know, they're not like – they're high talent, but they're not like high individual talent. A lot of their goals are like I, – I look back at the replay and I'm like, there was nothing to that goal. They just put the puck on, on net at the right time. Or I feel like they've had a lot of – I don't know that they're greasy, grindy fourth-line goals, but they've had a lot of goals just bounce in or they're in the right spot. So – that was one thing I thought like a little bit earlier. Like, I think they get a lot of those goals because they don't have a lot of one-on-one guys. We talked about that. I assume that Rye was talking about Kempe as being the the one-on-one guy that can turn somebody inside out. Yeah. Um, maybe Fiala, but he did he didn't say who he said he 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 thought there was one guy on the team. So maybe those think, two, I, right? I would think Kempe too. I would think he, he seems to be the guy that I mean he's he's yeah. our best scorer, right? He's he's our best yeah. threat. Fiala may be a little bit better with the stick, but I think that the Kings, so, you know, fast forwarding now here to the Colorado game, I think the Capitals game, I don't even see that like the Philly game. The Philly game was a one-off, right? The the Kings are better than Philly, and Philly came in, and they somehow shut them down. It was, like, mystifying, like, what happened to the Kings? I don't think anything in that Capitals game makes me think any differently about the Kings. They dominated play. They, they were there. They had tons of chances. I mean, they could have scored. Lindgren... Looked like one day, one time he was looking to the left and the puck was coming from his right and it somehow hit him. So, like, I have no issues with that. I thought they dominated the game. And I think going into Colorado or going into Colorado coming to town, Colorado is is a, a high-class team. Um, but I think the Kings are a better one line one through four, defense one through six, a better team than Colorado. Colorado's got higher-end talent than we have. But I think they've got a lower – floor so higher ceiling lower floor and then the kings are just solid all the way through uh kings five to three and then Ooh, kings I, like take. I like it well uh in my estimation colorado is still the litmus test in the west uh i know mm-hmm. vegas hangs around there i don't really care about the vegas work as far as the actual hockey games without the nhl's uh involvement i think colorado is the best hockey team in the western conference for sure and you know, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head, Jewel, as far as the, the breakdown for the game. It seems like when the Kings play teams with the with, with teams who have the best players in the league, the real top-end talent, where the Kings have talent like right here, right? But there's an upper echelon of guys like the Mikhail McCars and Nathan McKinnons. It seems to me like when the Kings face these teams, the top-end talents, like the real elite talents kind of take over games on us. Like uh, McCarr, McKinnon, and Ranton, and just, uh, but I don't know. We'll see. So they they are the litmus test, and we'll find out. And I do agree with the assessment on the Washington game. The only reason I would say that it's uh, not too dissimilar from the Philly game is because I thought that we played better than Philadelphia. It's just somehow a break happened here and there, and Philly had one in the back of the net. We're down two nil. We're going, but we're way better than this team. So that that's how I saw it as not dissimilar, but it wasn't the same insofar as. The Kings just constantly peppering the Washington goalie lingering and just couldn't find a way to get one. So, uh, yeah. But yeah, I think the assessment, uh, the the preview for the Colorado game is usually a spot on. Three way money line regulation tie. Philip Deneau first goal scorer. So <laughs> Deneau scores first. King. This game's going to OT. That's some plus money value out there for you, you people in you know legal gambling areas. <laughs> <That's okay>. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Any last words before we uh, end the show here? No. You know what? Let's uh, let's take a look at the calendar. I know it's busy coming up here. You know, through the holidays, and we've got family coming in. But Julesy and Josh, let's uh, let's take a look at Gma's 
covered calendar. We we got to try to get to a game together here uh, in, if not in 2023, you know, pretty quick there in 2024. I'll Dude, say on the live podcast from the corner. Live, oh, let's go. Oh. live from the corner, yeah. baby. I am there. Let's do it. Let's do I'll it. Tell you, I'll tell you what's on the calendar. A guy named Josh's name is on for December 13th when uh, the Winnipeg Jets come into town. Oh, what day is that? <laughs> December 13th on a Wednesday. That's oh, a Wednesday. All right. Well, I could nice. probably stream that. That's coming up soon. I like I it. I think I could figure out a way to make that, you know, just in case. I'm always available for the invite. You guys know that. I love Can't it. give up on those seats. Those are beautiful. Uh, real quick, on the, on the season, I'm still super stoked on this team. Goaltending is great. I love the defense. I love the offensive reduction. I think in a lot of the power rankings, Kings moved up to number one or number number one, two, or three in a lot of the power rankings. Um, I mean, experts can be wrong, but in this case, I don't think they are. I think the team is really, really well built. I think they're solid all the way through. They're a tough matchup to compete with uh, line in, line out. And I think that's why we're seeing so much production out of like a Grunstrom, Trevor Moore's producing. Uh, Campe's coming along. Campe and Byfield. I mean, there's not a line you can just pick for the Kings. There's not even two lines. You can be like, let's stop those two lines. Because the fourth line grinds out, and they just make goals happen. So, um, and like I said, the defense, it looks like we've got three solid 1A, 1B pairings. I, I don't see a big drop-off in the D pairings either. Uh, I've not been this excited in a long time. Uh, even Josh, he put out for the corner. He put out the 2012 versus this team. And uh, it's an interesting – I love the fact that we can even ask that question and it's legitimate. That, to me, is freaking beautiful because if we're looking at cup-winning cup teams and we're asking if this team's as good as that team, that means they're either pretty darn close or they're right there. And I love that because three years ago, the Kings looked like a dumpster fire. <laughs> Definitely right. Jewel D, I so. think that's a perfect summarization of, uh, of everything Kings-related. So here we go. Here's where you can find us, all right, y'all? Twitter.com slash LA Kings Corner and Instagram.com slash LA Kings Corner. The, where you can find the podcast is in the bios of those two, Twitter.com slash LA Kings Corner and Instagram.com slash LA Kings Corner. But you can find us on Apple and Spotify. You just search LA Kings Corner will pop up. We're everywhere you find your podcast, but we promote it on Apple and Spotify uh, more than the others. Uh, you can email the show at LA Kings Corner at gmail.com. We're live watch-alongs on Twitter and on rumble.com slash LA Kings Corner. Uh, we're also live on twitch.tv slash LA Kings Corner. So that's Twitch, Rumble, the email, Twitter, Instagram. And if you like what we're doing here, if you like the podcast, or you even want to uh, make a slight donation, this is all these avenues are ways you can get your questions and comments right on the air, by the way, any single one of them. But if you like what we're doing here, you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash LAK Corner. That's buymeacoffee.com slash LAK Corner. Thanks for listening, y'all. This has been another episode of King's Corner. Go Kings Go. We'll see you Sunday for the Watch Along on Rumble, Twitch, and Twitter. Good night, y'all.